Good morning, Twilliger uh, Church community. Uh, my name is Isaac. This is Sarah, my wife. We have little Jeremiah, Zayana, and Alethea, and we're uh, pleased to be able to read uh, this morning's passage from Luke as well as John. So join with us. Luke 2, 8 to 16. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. John fifteen nine to 11 As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that you may, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah and Isaac. I find it hard to believe that we are already at the fourth Sunday of Advent and that Christmas is next week, but here we are. Um, and this morning, as we've already mentioned a couple of times, uh, we'll be talking about joy. We've learned a little bit about hope and peace and love, and now we come to this fourth Sunday in Advent where we learn about joy. And it's interesting in our culture, because I, I think about Christmas um, in our culture, joy seems to be engineered into the very fabric of the things that we do and celebrate, isn't it? When you think about all the festivities, all that is going on, it seems like people understand that Christmas is meant to be a time of joy. It's a time where we eat really good food, we prepare special meals, we do Christmas baking, and we eat and, and drink of this good food, this good drink, and it brings us joy, it brings us delight. We take time to um, decorate our homes. We put lights up in front of the houses and inside. We, we set up a tree. We put lights on the tree. We pull nativity scenes out and we put all this effort into decorating our house. Why? Because it brings us joy. We think about the time that we spend with friends and family. And we, we look at our calendars and we plan well in advance to make sure that we get this time spent with friends, with family, with the grandkids. Why? Well, it brings us Joy. Our culture, even, even the Christmas day seems to be set aside as a day where all the businesses stop so that people can come together and do these things. We share presents with one another, buying the perfect gift. And I, I know that we can talk about how Christmas is so commercial, but if, if you're a grandparent or a parent or aunt and uncle, you know you love watching kids open presents, right? It's so great. To see their faces light up as they unwrap those gifts and their, their eyes are filled with joy and delight with the things that are in front of them. And all these decorations, man, I think it was uh, November this year, right after Halloween, I went into someone's house and I was shocked because I entered into a Christmas wonderland. And it was like early November. You guys know what I mean? 
Who sets up early November? A few of you? Okay, a few shy hands go up. The, the house of the person I was in, they attend this church. I don't know if I saw your hand go up or not. Um, but, but we've been setting up, setting up our Christmas decorations, it seems, earlier and earlier. I remember when I was a kid, we had a house rule that December 1st, we couldn't set up before December 1st. And now it seems like it creeps back earlier and earlier. But when I stop and think about that, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because there's this reality that come the, you know, a few days after Christmas or early January, all those decorations come down and we put them in a box, don't we? The tree comes down, the, all the different things that we use to celebrate Christmas, it all gets put away. It all gets put into a box. So why not extend the joy that these things bring just a little bit longer, right? Is that the reason we set up so early? Those of you who do? <laughs> I don't. Um, I don't set up early. But it makes sense to me. We want to we wanna enjoy that. Even this morning when I came downstairs, um, the glow of our Christmas tree in our living room was just this nice thing. It brings a bit of joy, a bit of delight. But do you know what is amazing about what we celebrate at Christmas? That the coming of Christ, the hope, the love, the peace, and the joy that Christ brings, none of these things get put back into a box at the end of our Christmas celebrations. The joy that we have in Christ Jesus, unlike the Christmas tree, unlike the ornaments, unlike those lights, the joy that Jesus brings is not packed up and put away in a box with all the other things. If all of our Christmas joy was tied to lights and good food and good company, perhaps that Christmas joy would also go back into the box for the year. But what if our greatest joy of Christmas wasn't tied to any of these? What if the greatest joy that we celebrate at Christmas was tied to a person? And that that joy never gets put away. That that joy that we have in Jesus endures no matter what our homes look like. No matter the meal that we're eating. No matter the company that we share. Whether we are in abundance or in need. No matter the season of life. What if the joy... Of Christmas was a joy not just for one day or season, but a joy for all days and all seasons. At Christmas, we remember and celebrate what the angels called good news and great joy. Good news and great joy. Well, this morning, I want to unpack a bit of this great joy. A joy that I believe stands apart from all the other joys and delights that we experience at this time of year. I want to talk a bit about what the Bible teaches about the concept of joy or delight or happiness. And then talk about how that joy is to mark our community and be something that we herald in our world. Sharing the joy of Jesus with those around us. So let's jump into it today. What does the Bible teach about joy? What does the Bible teach about joy? Well, we only need to open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 to begin to get glimpses of joy or delight. And just really quick, um, the Bible uses a lot of different words uh, to communicate joy, happiness, or delight. I'm going to use those words very interchangeably because the Bible does. Um, Sometimes I've heard pastors or teachers talk about how there's a difference between happiness and joy. Um, And while we might argue that from a dictionary or something like that, it seems like the biblical authors 
are using the words that they use and it's translated into English in a way that, that these ideas of joy or happiness or delight or pleasure, rejoicing, um, it just, it all falls in the same semantic range. And so when we talk about one, we could easily be referring uh, to another. And right at the beginning of the Bible, we see these hints and these, these themes popping up where scripture identifies that God himself is one who has joy. As God creates the universe and the world around us, each day ends with this refrain of, it was good. It was good. It was good. As if God creating, he's just full of joy. He's full of delight in the work that he has done. God had joy. Author Rick Ho writes that God created from the overflow of his joy. And as God creates, he creates the conditions in which you and I experience joy. And scripture goes on to identify that, that, that we have joy as we experience good things. Seems obvious, doesn't it? But God created this world in which, which he called good. And humanity goes on to enjoy that world and experience joy and delight and happiness. Tim Mackey with the Bible Project, they, they just sweep through scripture and they talk about all the different ways in which humans experience joy. We experience joy in abundance when we, when we have good crops. We experience joy with good food and drink. We read about that in, in Psalm 104. We read in Song of Solomon about spouses delighting in one another and having joy. We read about joy coming from victory from war. We read about joy coming as justice prevails in the land. We read about joy happening as, as people worship the Lord. They experience joy, delight, and happiness. And you and I, none of this is foreign to us. We know what it is to have joy from the simplicity of a good meal. We know what it is to have joy from good company and good time shared with friends. To read a great book, to sit and enjoy being outside, taking in creation. So not only did God create these conditions in which we experience joy, but we enter into that. We taste it. We see it. We experience it on a regular basis. And how much more at the Christmas season, as we do engage in all these festivities, we experience joy. But at the same time, Scripture identifies that the joy experienced from things can easily slip away. Can easily slip away. Because right again, when we open Scripture, we see God rejoicing in creation. We see humanity enjoying that creation. But Genesis chapter 2, we see humanity slip away from what they were made for, from this perfection that they were experiencing. You know, they lived in the Garden of Eden in perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with one another, perfect relationship even with themselves. But that experience is shattered when they choose their way over God's way. And when Adam and Eve eat the fruit and they defy God, That joy that they had, the perfect relationship with God was shattered. The perfect relationship with one another was shattered. The perfect relationship, even within themselves, was shattered. The relationship with creation was shattered. And we see their joy slipping away. C.S. Lewis writes that someone or something whispered that they, Adam and Eve, could become as gods. That they could cease directing their lives to their creator and taking all their delights as uncovenanted mercies. Which arose in the course of a life directing not to those delights but to the admiration of God. C.S. Lewis here is, is pointing to the reality that as Adam and Eve enjoyed creation. 
before the fall, their enjoyment of creation directed them towards God himself. It fueled their love for God. It fueled their passion and their relationship with God. But then the enemy comes and whispers to them that they could be like God's. That they could create their own joy. That they could be the authors of delight. And in choosing that over the delight they had from God, the joy they once had was shattered. It slipped away. Now this theme is an important one in scripture because we watch over and over again God's people attempting to achieve joy or delight outside of its proper root in him. And we read over and over again about humanity kind of walking with God, then falling away. Experiencing life with him, but then choosing their own direction. And the pattern in scripture is is one where we watch Israel move from slavery to prosperity with God. But then seeking to have delight apart from God, it results in a spiral of of destruction, resulting in their exile and in their captivity. Now this leads us to the themes of Advent. We read in Isaiah chapter 9, the people living in darkness, right? That ultimately, humanity trusting in itself resulted in their exile from the land of Israel. They were living in a land that was not their own, being governed by foreign kings. And in Psalm 137, we read this really sad psalm. That by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. We have this picture of these captive Israelites sitting by this river in a foreign land. And they are weeping as they think about their homeland, as they think about Jerusalem. And they say, there on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Just imagine the ridicule. Sitting in a land not their own, their captors are saying, come on, sing us one of those joyful songs. Have joy. And the Israelites saying, how can we sing the songs of the Lord when we are in a foreign land? Their joy had slipped away. They needed a savior. They needed to be restored. They needed to be brought back into that right relationship with God. And thankfully, Psalm 137 is not the end of the story. Because scripture goes on to teach us that lasting joy is given by and found in God alone. Lasting joy is given by and found in God alone. In Isaiah, we read this promise that that those the Lord has rescued will return. They will come back from Babylon. They will enter Zion with singing and everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Their joy will be restored. And that brings us, that brings us to our text this morning, where we see that God gives himself as our source of joy. God gives himself as our source of joy. We have this scene set for us in Luke chapter 2 of a group of shepherds who are keeping watch over the flocks at night, probably the middle of the night. They're probably tired and they are woken up by a choir of angels. And they're woken up in such a way that they are filled with fear. They don't know if what's happening is a threat. They don't know if someone's coming to harm them or to take their sheep. They don't know what is going on. And so the angels bring this message, fear 
not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Christ, who is Christ the Lord. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Friends, the Bible's message of joy reaches a climax in this verse. Because the joy that was once experienced in the garden, the joy that was rejected by humanity, a joy that could only be tasted in part for years and years and years, is now coming to them in a new way. God reaching out to humanity. God stepping towards them and extending to them joy and delight. The message of the angels is said to be good news, great Joy. This word good news is in the Greek euangelion, which is where we get the word gospel from. It's where we get our word in English as well as evangelism. It's this idea of proclamation. But what's interesting about this word is that in this context, evangelism didn't mean telling other people about Jesus because, um, you know, Jesus was just being born, right? So um, that's not how it works. Uh, we use that word in that way now. But for the angels, they were saying this word good news and to the to their original hearers, what they were hearing was this political proclamation. This declaration, euangelion, this declaration of good news was one that was used um, when a messenger would come into a city to declare something political. So they would show up and they'd say, hey, guess what, everybody? We won the war. We won the battle. Good news. Things are going well. This, this phrase, good news, was also used to herald the birth of a new king. When a new king was born in, in the region, they would come into a town. They would say, good news, good news, because there's no social media. There's no TV. How do they get the word about? They send out these messengers. They go into towns. They say, good news. So here we have these angels using this political term, this proclamation, good news. A king is born. But not only is this good news, but it's great joy. And I love the adjective that is here that the angels use. That it's not just joy. Not just joy. It's great joy. And if we were to read this phonetically out of the Greek, it's mega joy. Mega joy. Good news. Mega joy. Why is it good news? Why is it mega joy? Well, because a Savior has been born. A Savior has been born. A deliverer. Someone is coming to rescue you. One of the Greek lexicons with this word described the Savior as a bringer of happiness. Absolutely love that. A bringer of happiness has been born. And who is this Savior? Well, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. This word Christ, sometimes we we get it confused. We think that it's just Jesus' last name. It's not Jesus' last name, but this, this word Christ pointed back to the Old Testament vision of this anticipated Savior. This one who is going to come and deliver Israel. This one who is going to come and sit on the throne of David. They waited for their Messiah. They waited for this Savior to come. He, Jesus was the long-awaited one. And right here, the angels are slapping this title on Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the one that you, the Israelites, the Jews, have been waiting for. And not only that, he is the Lord. He is the Lord. 
Here they are invoking the Old Testament name of God, Yahweh. Your God has come. Friends, to these Jewish Jewish shepherds, the time had come. The one that they were waiting for has arrived. The one they are waiting for has come. Your hope, your salvation is here. The answer to all of your deepest questions is about to be answered. The peace that you've been longing for, the time has come. This is reason for mega joy. This is good news. And friends, this message from the angels comes to us today. Good news. Mega joy. And what I love about this is it's not just that Jesus' birth brought joy. It wasn't just his initial coming as a baby that was the bringer of joy into the world. But as we go on to read about the life of Jesus, we see that his ministry brought joy. His ministry brought joy. And I love this in John 15. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Why? Why has Jesus spoken us these words? Why has he taught us about life abundant? Why has he been instructing his disciples day in and day out for three years? Was it for the sake of discipline? That's not what he says. Was it that they would become perfect? That's not what he said. Is it that they would be conformed to a certain image? That's not what he says. No. He says the reason I've been teaching you this, the reason I've been demonstrating this life to you, this reason I've been inviting you into this is why? For joy. That you would live in the good news and the mega joy. I absolutely love this. Think about this for just a second. Our obedience lived out to Jesus as we faithfully follow him, as we faithfully walk with him, as we commit our lives to him and devote ourselves to his teaching, as we learn to see the world the way that Jesus saw it and respond in the way that he would respond, as we do all of this, what does it do? It's supposed to produce joy. It's supposed to bring up joy and gladness. You see, Christians are not supposed to be boring people. And they're not supposed to be sad people in some senses. But the picture that Jesus is painting for us here, I've given you these words. This comes right off the heels of him instructing his disciples to abide with him. Abide in the vine. Do life with me. Live with me. Abide in me. And have joy. That my joy may be in you. That your joy may be filled. When I'm not experiencing joy in my own life, I rightly ask the question, am I living in the fullness of joy that Jesus has for me? Am I living the way that he's called me to live? Am I walking in obedience? Am I walking the path that Jesus has called me to? Or am I way off over here and wondering why Jesus has let me down when really Jesus hasn't let me down at all. I'm the one letting him down. But he's invited us into a way of life where it's not just his birth that brings joy and abundance. It's not just the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose again that we have salvation for eternity. But the life we live now, our day in, our day out, not just at Christmas time, is supposed to be marked with joy. As we live the way that he called us to, as we walk the path that he has invited us to. Teacher and philosopher-scholar James Houston masterfully illustrates in his book, The Pursuit of Happiness, 
That happiness or joy pursued in pleasure, in the pursuit of peace of mind, or in the hope of a brighter future apart from God is all fleeting. We are meant to live in this good news of great joy that has come from God. That's come in the person of Jesus. This joy marks our community. We are to be a community of joy. A community of joy. That we experience joy and gladness every time we gather together. That we encourage one another to be joyful. We encourage one another in delight. We are a community of joy as we recognize our joy springs up from what God has done. The Bible talks about this reality of the joy of our salvation. Friends, we can have joy because our joy is anchored somewhere. You see, when God calls us to joy, he's not calling us to insincerity. Rather, he's inviting us to enter into the joyful delight that he has made available to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The joy that flows from the reality that we were once living apart from God. We were once lost. We were once ruined in that life apart from God. We were without hope is how the Bible describes those living apart from God. We were in a whole lot of trouble and could do nothing to change it. But then God, God reaches out to us. God reaches out to the plight of humanity. He sends his son. We experience this joy of salvation. God doing for us what we could never do on our own. We join in singing Mary's song, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This joy is not something that can be taken away because it's rooted in God and what he has done. But our joy is also maintained as we anticipate what God will do. In theological terms, we would call this eschatological joy. And and eschatology is just the study of last things. But So it's this idea of a joy being set in what is to come. Friends, our joy is not only the result of a memory of what God has done. But our joy today, the joy that we experience this season of Christmas, is a foretaste of what what we will one day know without measure or end. Peter talks about this in his, his letter to the churches in First uh, Peter chapter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's according to his great mercy he has caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the joy of our salvation. He goes on, but to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. A joy that we anticipate, eschatological joy, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter here is recognizing that there is this joy, this hopeful anticipation for what is to come. That fills us with joy. This truth that God is going to act again in history. We talked about this in the message on hope. That as we have hope towards this future, it is to bring us joy. And what I love about this is Peter is writing to a group of persecuted Christians living in Asia Minor. And he identifies right here that they are experiencing trial. 
Yet in their trial, they are able to rejoice as they anticipate what God is going to do. So friends, we are a community of joy that experience joy from what God has done, but who also anticipate what God will do. And as we anticipate what he will do, we have joy. So how do we mature as a community of joy? This is all great. You know, the the scriptural teaching of what joy is, the reality that God is one who has joy, that he's created us for joy, that we experience joy by kind of partaking and participating in what he's created. That God has sent his son to create this lasting, enduring joy that is not dependent on situation or circumstance, but anchored in what Christ has done. And a joy that is anchored also in an expectation of what he will do. But sometimes we still struggle with joy, don't we? We have days where maybe joy feels like the last thing we would ever feel. We have days where we're experiencing things that maybe once gave us delight or happiness and it just doesn't seem to be doing the trick anymore. So how do we grow in this kind of joy? Well, I think the first thing is that we need to receive joy. We need to receive it. I find it very interesting in, in Luke chapter 2, when we look at our shepherds in the field, um, when this proclamation was made, the, the, the shepherds had an, a choice. Really, they could have just stayed in the field. They could have collectively agreed that maybe they ate something really off that night for supper and just had some sort of strange experience, but choose to ignore it. <laughs> but that's not at all what happened. The shepherds chose to go and see what it was the angels said would bring them joy. They chose to trust that these, what these angels said was actually true. And they acted upon the testimony of the angels. And they said, okay, yeah, let's go see this thing that they're telling us about. Friends, choosing joy requires us to trust. Choosing joy requires us to trust that God actually has joy for us. Choosing joy means we show up to God and say, God, I want to know this joy. Because really, if we wanted to, we could reject it. We could reject God's joy. We could say, just as Adam and Eve maybe did, that, well, I just want to create joy on my own. I'm okay on my own. I don't need the joy that comes from Jesus. I'm pretty happy. I'm a pretty content person. But know this. The joy that we experience apart from God is temporary at best. It is also never satisfied. The joy we experience apart from God is one that will fade and we're left looking for the next joy. We're we're left looking for the next thing, the next event, the next experience, the next great meal, the next this, that, or the other thing. Desperate to maintain the flame of joy. Because when we're the ones lighting our little flames of joy... That little flame is so easily blown out. But when our joy is anchored in Jesus, when it's a joy of salvation, when it's a joy anticipating what he will do, when it's a joy of his presence that we experience, that joy cannot fade. That joy is one that will never be quenched. Sorry, that that joy is one that we can live in the satisfaction of it. Knowing that it will not go away. Well, what does this look like practically receiving joy? 
I believe we receive his joy by looking to Jesus for it. Which brings us to the practice of prayer. And it's interesting to me with this because the practice of prayer is is nothing flashy. There's no secret formula. There's no necessarily book that I would write to say, hey, follow these eight steps and experience joy like no other kind of a thing. But I find we often skip over this simple step of prayer. We think, yeah, 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 prayer, I get it. I'm a Christian. I grew up in the church. I understand prayer. But what else should I do? How else can I know joy? Friends, I'm not sure there is much more to be done to receive fountains of joy from Jesus apart from turning to him in prayer, enjoying his presence, gaining his perspective, coming before him in our sadness, coming before him in those seasons where joy feels far off and and choosing to sit with him in prayer until that joy comes. Being stubborn in prayer. Saying, God, I'm not going anywhere until I taste this joy that you have for me. It's spending that time in silence and solitude. It's hearing the invitations of Jesus from John chapter 4 and John chapter 7 that says, If any of you are thirsty, come to me and drink. Or Isaiah chapter 55 where God makes that same call out to the people. If any of you are thirsty, come. Drink and eat. These food metaphors which are tied to delight and joy, pleasure. So we have to come to him. And friends, when we receive it, we see God as the ultimate source of the joy that we are experiencing. As we receive joy from God, as we gain his perspective, we begin to look at all the little delights that we experience in our life through a different lens. Author Rick Ho writes this about, about joy. This is a little long, but bear with me. He says, if we look at the world through the lens of joy, we will see God in all that we behold. In its vastness, we will see his immensity. In its great antiquity, we will see his eternal power. In its grandeur, we will see his glory. In its wonders, we will see his wisdom. In its intricacies, we will see his genius. In its wildness, we will see his sovereign freedom and surprising way. In its pleasures, we will see his goodness to us. If we see the world as it truly is, we will see it enchanted with the presence of God. And we will drink of a joy, I believe, that we will in no other way experience. And how else do we mature as a community of joy? I think we need to spread joy. We need to spread joy. To quote a uh, popular uh, Christmas movie, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. <laughs> it's from Elf. Have you guys seen Elf? That one will make you smile. Turning again, though, to Luke chapter 2, the shepherds learned to sing loud for all to hear. It says, when they saw it, when they saw this baby, when they saw this Christ the Savior being born, They made know the saying that had been told concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. So here we we read in Luke 2 that the, the shepherds didn't only go and see Jesus Christ being born, but they went with haste and they told all the all the people that they could find about what had happened. They went and they testified to what God had done and what he is doing. 
They go and they spread this message of good news and great joy. And friends, the call that has come to the church as we are a community of joy is to do the same as these shepherds. To be people who spread good news of great joy. Now this isn't to be confused with peppy optimism. Rather, I believe it's a joyful disposition. One that is constant no matter the circumstances. And in our evangelism, as we share about Jesus, as we share about the hope we have in him, as we share with our friends and coworkers or classmates what we celebrate at Christmas, why Christmas is important to us, we have the opportunity to invite others to see that their own delight can find its ultimate source in a God who loves them. To invite people beyond temporal joy and into one that is eternal and lasting. Well, I'm not sure how you're hearing this today. Perhaps you're sitting here and thinking, well, this is all great. You know, I'd love more joy, but this just isn't the season for it. I invite you to pray as David prayed in Psalm chapter 51. He prayed to the Lord that he would restore to him the joy of salvation. Perhaps you need to pray that this morning. As a community, we rightly come before the Lord and and pray and seek him, saying, God, restore to us your joy. Help us to know this joy that comes from you. Perhaps this morning you're hearing a reminder of the need to orient your joy to God through the practice of thanksgiving and celebration. I encourage you today to take time to thank God for all the good in your life. That when you think of all the things that bring you joy or delight this season, trace them all back to God. Thank God for all that he is doing and see that the joy and the delight that you experience day to day has its ultimate source in him. And I pray for us as a community that we would continue to mature as we receive and spread the joy that we have in Jesus. Let's pray together. Yeah, Father God, we thank you so much for the joy that came, Lord, the message of good news, great joy, mega joy. God, that you did not abandon us in a state where we were just left to do our own thing. To run from one delight to the next or one joy to the next, one fading after the other. But Lord, you've given us in your son the opportunity to experience a joy that is lasting. One that is eternal. A joy that is anchored in what you have done, Lord Jesus. And one that anticipates a future where the joy we taste today is simply a foretaste of the abundant joy we will experience for eternity. So Lord, we pray today that you would fill us with your joy. Fill us with gladness as we remember who you are and what you have done. We praise you and thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the joy that we have received, the delight that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.